The Alchemical Tech Revolution is sponsored by Anchor. Anchor by Spotify. That's anchor.fm. Hi folks, this is Wayne McCroy, host of the Alchemical Tech Revolution podcast. I'm here to tell you tonight about Anchor. Anchor is one of the best podcast distribution apps out there. Uh, They offer various ways to create, distribute, and monetize your podcast all for free, and they have some of the best built-in uploading, recording, and editing tools available in the industry. From start to finish, they can help you to set up your podcast. So if you are interested in starting a podcast, check out anchor.fm. Or if you are already a podcaster and you're looking for distribution solutions for your podcast, check out anchor.fm. Come with me.
Listening to the Alchemical Tech Revolution, and I am your host, Wayne McRoy. Good evening, everyone. Tonight, we're going to be discussing a little uh, NASA document that came out in 1963, and this one is known as Engineering Man for Space, the Cyborg Study. And we're going to take a special look at this in relation to uh, how it relates uh, to some of the studies that I've done on autism, of all things. Uh, so it's it's going to be a wild ride here tonight. Uh, uh, let's take a look into this document, and uh, this was released in 1963. I'll bring it up here, just one second. Okay. We have, this is Engineering Man for Space, the Cyborg Study. Uh, and this is Final Report NASW-512 to NASA OART. Biotechnology and Human Research, Washington, D.C., May 15, 1963. Submitted by Robert W. Driscoll, Cyborg Program, approved by Richard J. Preston, Manager, Biosciences and Technology. And this is uh, stamped with a, uh, a logo from uh, United Aircraft Corporate System Center, Farmingdale, Connecticut. Engineering Man for Space. Let's begin reading now. The cyborg study is the study of man. It concerns itself with the determination of man's capabilities and limitations under the unpredictable and often hostile conditions of spaceflight and the theoretical possibility of incorporating artificial organs, drugs, and or hypothermia as integral, integral parts of the life support systems in spacecraft design of the future and of reducing metabolic demands and the attendant life support requirements. By this approach, it is hoped that the efficiency and longevity of the life process on board space flights may be increased. It covers these new areas in detail in order to determine whether their application or utilization can assure the continued contribution of man to the success of prolonged space flights or interplanetary exploration interplanetary, excuse me, exploration without threatening his safety during such flights. The idea of modifying man is an advanced concept which must supersede conventional thinking and which will, in the long run, provide us with basic research data in the fundamental physiology of man during the conditions of space travel. And we're going to pause there. That's the first paragraph. <clears throat> they are talking about fundamentally modifying man, changing him. Uh, from what he is to try to engineer him uh, towards what they would call spaceflight. Okay, and this was written in 1963, as we pointed out. So this is before the alleged moon landings or any of that stuff uh, went on, but when they were still uh, really seriously pursuing manned spaceflight uh, as a viable option for a future and inter interplanetary exploration and things of that nature, uh, when they were actually looking at this. So uh, with that being the case, we'll see later how, uh, you know, the, the biological and cybernetic aspects of this line up. And uh, like I said, 
I'll point out some connections uh, to you uh, as it relates to the autism epidemic. Uh, and this is not something that I would have normally put out on a platform like YouTube, but being as how uh, I'm safe behind a paywall now at Rockfin, I could talk about this stuff without fear of getting censored. And uh, we're going to get into it here, but let's continue first of all here with the reading. Here's where we left off. The Phase 1 Cyborg Study has two principal task areas. Task A is a detailed consideration of the availability and practicability of using artificial organs, hypothermia, and or drugs in adapting man to a space environment. I'm going to pause there. This has always been that long-talked-about thing of, like, uh, say, freezing somebody and uh, reviving them later. And we saw this actually uh, represented in the movie 2001, A Space Odyssey, and again in 2010, uh, the year we made contact. Uh, and these these harken back to uh, the Arthur C. Clarke books uh, of of those same names. So when, when you look at this, this is kind of something that's been uh, pre-programmed into men's minds to try to accept this as being a viable thing that we could do. Uh, and once again, this, this buys into the whole hyper-materialistic view of reality, whereas everything is just, you know, a function of the physical here. Okay, so... Um, once again, they, they don't take any kind of a spiritual aspect into consideration with any of this stuff. They just look at it as purely physical phenomena going on. So uh, even something like consciousness, they're, they're trying to uh, just represent it as nothing more than a, the byproduct of some physical chemical process, an electrical chemical process that goes on in your nervous system. So that being the case, they think that freezing a person and possibly reviving them later would be a viable option here. So they're talking about that in this first part. And that's that's an idea that's been, uh, you know, batted around for many, many, many decades now. In fact, they say, uh, uh, don't they say something like Walt Disney froze his head or something like that, something ridiculous in hopes of being revived later? Um, but anyway, I mean, th this is a big business for some people, like cryogenically freezing uh, somebody who's on the verge of death and, you know, in hopes that they could be revived in later years when we figure out how to do it. And that's the whole key. And we're talking, this is going back to 1963. So here we are in 2021. They still haven't figured out how to do it, folks, because I don't think it could be done. But they, they, they're talking about that here. <clears throat> but let's move on. Task B is the collection and study of data relating to the operation of the human heart in a space environment. This has included the development of a mathematical and physical dynamic model. This report is divided into seven major sections. The sections on artificial organs, hypothermia, drugs, sensory deprivation, and cardiovascular models represent the detailed discussion of the roles each may play in space flights of the future. Section 2 thoroughly analyzes the history development, state-of-the-art, and future directions in the fields of the artificial lung, the artificial heart, the artificial kidney, and extracorporeal pump oxygenating equipment. All of the problems associated with the development of such units, physical, mechanical, and physiological, are considered in detail. 
Various existing models of each of the units used in present-day clinical procedures are illustrated and evaluated. Conclusions based on this information indicate limited application of artificial organs to spacecraft life support system design, with certain reservations, however. So I'm going to pause there. So they're saying, looking at the, this concept of artificial organs and, and things like that, uh, they don't think it's a viable uh, thing for, uh, you know, use within spacecraft life support system design. So uh, <clears throat> they've kind of just pushed that whole idea aside. So, you know, things like this, uh, they're discarding certain ideas but adopting others. And we'll, we'll see how it goes as we go along here. Section 3 follows the same general plan of analysis with great stress being placed in the physiological aberrations and responses to artificially reduced body temperature. Methods by which body temperature can be lowered either by external means or electrical neurological stimulation are covered thoroughly. I'm going to pause there, folks. One thing I've noticed through this entire, uh, you know, alleged COVID pandemic that we've just lived through for the past year, everywhere you go, they want to take your temperature with this little uh, gun, temperature gun thing that they point at your head. Why are they really recording these temperatures? And many places are keeping these temperature logs. And one thing I've noticed, because uh, where I'm employed, we have to keep temperature logs. So I've noticed that it seems, and I don't know if it's because the, the thermometers are not accurate or if there's really something to it, but it would appear that the average human body temperature is lower than what it used to be. Uh, now, this would require a little more investigation uh, to prove out whether that's true or not, but I think there might be something to it. Uh, they might be recording this information for some other purpose other than, you know, to make sure you don't have a fever because it's a symptom of this thing. And what's not a symptom of this thing? So that, that really doesn't go much of anywhere as far as that goes. But anyway, let's get back to the reading. I, I don't want to harbor too long on that point, but I thought it was interesting to interject that here. Back to the reading. The effect of this temperature reduction on the major organ systems and their physiologic functions is carefully analyzed. This work appears to indicate a potential role for hypothermia as a meta metabolic retarding element, both from the standpoint of space applications and terrestrial medical research contributions. The metabolic reducing effects of a hypothermic situation have been clearly demonstrated in many areas of clinical research. The ability at some point in this research to suspend animation, and it says that in quotation marks, by hypothermia becomes a significant possibility. In the preservation of red blood cells, for instance, work under Navy contract has already shown that the storage of the erythrocyte is possible for periods up to four years. And I'm going to pause there, folks. And this is 1963. Keep that in mind that they're talking about this. 1963, they're talking about suspended animation. I can't even say animation, right? Uh, it's been a long day. But anyway, suspended animation, they're talking about as being a real possibility. And they also talk about work under naval contract, Navy contract, that's the United States Navy, has shown that you could store erythrocytes for up to four years in a frozen state like that. And, you know, that kind of thing. So th that's an interesting little uh, aside there. Let's get back to the reading, though. 
Tagging and reinjection of these stored cells into living systems has indicated that their predetermined life cycle of approximately 120 days has remained unchanged by the lengthy period of hypothermic preservation. Going to pause there. Uh, so, you see, they're saying you could freeze this tissue and it doesn't affect the tissue's lifespan or life cycle. Uh, so that's kind of one of these important ideas uh, that they're looking at for this thing. Uh, but let's get back to the reading. We'll get to the important stuff here very soon. <clears throat> Section 4 deals with a pharmacologic approach to the problems possibly to be encountered by space travelers. The use of drugs as adjunct or protective agents in human physiology for spaceflight considerations is not new. Extensive work has been done on the radioprotective properties of a variety of chemical agents. The section on drugs in this report limits itself, however, to a study of those agents considered applicable only in the areas of anxiety, depression, fatigue, acceleration, protection, sorry, acceleration protection, thermoprotection, metabolism reduction, and motion sickness. So I'm going to pause there. That's an interesting list of drug types for this, isn't it? Uh, but let's let's go back just a little bit there, where it talks about the section on drugs, uh, that extensive work has been done on the radioprotective properties of various chemical agents. Really? Well, that's interesting. So, you know, they were preparing themselves back in 1963, and apparently beforehand, for something like, say, the Van Allen belts, uh, but, you know, they didn't wind up doing anything to, for counterprotective measures against the Van Allen belts in the alleged moon landings or the moon flights from 1969 to 1972. Hmm, what's going on with that? I mean, obviously they had to know there was something there, but then, you know, the, the astronauts from the Apollo program claimed that they didn't even, some of them claimed they didn't even know about the Van Allen belts or that it was even going to be a problem. So... That being the case, I mean, you know, uh, they're kind of caught in a lie in, in some aspects here of, of one sort or another. Uh, but anyway, back to what they're talking about here. The section on drugs in this report is limited to those about that uh, treat the areas of anxiety, depression, fatigue, acceleration protection, thermal protection, metabolism reduction, and motion sickness. Now, this is... This is going to be uh, some interesting stuff right here because uh, we're looking, once again, at, at psychopharmacologicals here. Uh, you're talking about things to treat anxiety or depression. Fatigue, you're talking about uh, uh, some kind of stimulants, acceleration protection, thermal protection, and metabolism reduction and motion sickness. Uh, so you're talking about uh, substances that would alter your metabolism, okay, make your metabolism... Uh, operate differently so you don't require as much food or you know as much sleep um, you know that kind of thing so they're talking about some interesting stuff here but let's let's continue on and see what else they have to say <clears throat> the use of chemical agents to alter physiological function in space flights enables the operators to eliminate many variables in physiologic function and maintain precise and predictable control over these functions However, although there is a great wealth of information on literally thousands of such agents, there is no central information source where the complete and varied effects of these agents 
over and beyond those for which they were produced, may be obtained. It is felt that such an information base should be established immediately to fill this need. This agency would not only help the medical profession, but would also make its data available to those engaged in all forms of biomedical research. And I'm going to pause right there, folks. Do you hear what they're talking about here? They're talking about, hey, man, let's make a central database for health information so that we anybody who wants to study these things could have access to this information and we could have access to that information. See, this is where uh, the seed for centralized data uh, medical records and data medical records and uh, vaccine passports and all of that stuff comes from right here there you go um <clears throat> this is definitely pre-echoing that kind of a thing all in the name of research by by the way so you know they, they always hide it under something uh, you know as mundane as as research that kind of label and that way they could skirt around different uh different laws like the Nuremberg Codes and stuff like that uh, to actually do this stuff. But let's get back to the reading. <clears throat> the section on sensory deprivation was heavily investigated because it is felt that this area can cause potentially debilitating effects on research pilots engaged in space exploration. It is considered a serious limitation on man's adaptability to space flights, and therefore it has been emphasized in the Cyborg Final Report. In this area, there has been extensive research, and even the most preliminary analysis indicates that in hypo hypodynamic situations where there is minimum sensory input, depending on the conditions, serious psychophysiologic deviations may occur in periods of less than one hour. This section discusses the aberrations resulting from exposure to hypodynamic conditions, identifies the environmental events associated with such effects, and the sensory modality most susceptible to them, evaluates the characteristics of individuals most resistant or susceptible. In addition, it investigates methods of identifying and evaluating such characteristics and analyzes the hypodynamic aspects or possibilities of the space capsule and a space environment. It cannot be overemphasized that the area of sensory deprivation must be actively pursued and that this area is worthy of continued penetrating cyborg research. And I'm going to pause there, folks. There's a lot of information contained in this last paragraph. Basically, what it's saying is they found that uh, due to, uh, you know, the lack of, uh, say, I don't know, stuff to look at, I guess, out in space, sensory deprivation, that kind of thing, they uh, suspect that this could have some psychological and physiological ramifications on people. So they're trying to determine which type of people are best suited to spaceflight, okay, or, uh, you know, the, these type of things. Who are the best ones suited to uh, this kind of uh, sensory deprivation and uh, the different things that go along with it? Uh, and also, how do we identify these characteristics and analyze them uh, for the possibilities of, of doing this? And, and, you know, how long is it that people could uh, withstand some of these different conditions and what can we do to counter this sensory deprivation so that's kind of what they're looking at here but anyway uh, let's continue on with the reading 
Section 4 discusses the operation of the human heart in a space environment. Complete understanding of the multitude of complex interactions of organs and organ systems in the human will be a long time in coming. However, careful analysis of several of the more obvious characteristics of these symptoms, or sorry, of these systems has shown that their properties can in many cases be expressed in mathematical terms. The subsequent ability to duplicate and simulate any or all of these functions in terms of mathematical analogs will lead to an improvement in our understanding of the basic mechanisms and controls which affect the human system operation. And I'm going to pause right there, folks. This is 100% what cybernetics is all about. It's the study of systems control. So what they've done here is they've applied mathematics and algorithms, and they've tried to quantify how the human nervous system, how the human cardiovascular system, how the human anatomy in general works. Okay, so they, they've applied these different uh, cybernetic principles to that. They've quantified and figured out ways to uh, to tweak uh, these different things. So that's what it's talking about here. This is cybernetics through and through. That's what cybernetics is. It's the study of systems control, the science of systems control. That's cybernetics. And cybernetics in and of itself is actually a perversion of the ancient alchemical sciences. Uh, so that being said, uh, what they're talking about doing here is trying to engineer uh, the human nervous system and the human cardiovascular system uh, to something more desirable for spaceflight. Okay, and the, you know, in order to do that, first they have to express and quantify what these different properties of these different organ systems and stuff of the body are. So that's what they're talking about doing here. Anyway, let's get back to the reading here. Uh, where did we leave off? I think we read this part, but I'll read it again because it's important. The subsequent ability to duplicate and simulate any or all of these functions in terms of mathematical analogs will lead to an improvement in our understanding of the basic mechanisms and controls, and I'm going to emphasize the word controls, which affect the human system operation. By employing hypothetical mathematical equivalents for computer simulation and high-speed input variation analysis, we can begin to understand some of the complexities of human organ systems, their interface relationships, and, accordingly, be in a better position to predict function as influenced by new and changing environments. Although the cyborg study, NASW-512, has dealt specifically with hypothermia drugs, artificial organs, and cardiovascular modules, we have expanded this concept to include other fields which cannot justifiably, justifiably be reported in this document. However, it is felt that the area of calcium mobilization, a potentially severe limitation on man's physiologic adaptability to a space environment, should be investigated in detail. And I'm going to pause right there, folks. Um, this is where the rubber meets the road with the relationship of these cybernetic studies with the advent of the autism epidemic. Calcium neuronal channels, disruptions in calcium neuronal channels uh, are one of the uh, major contributing factors to autistic symptoms. Okay, that's a fact. Uh, so that being the case, they're talking about uh, studying calcium mobilization, 
within the human body. Okay, and we're going to read on here because it's going to get even more interesting here. So there, right here, there's a big link right there. Anyway, where did we leave off now? <clears throat> okay. As we discussed in the interim cyborg, cyborg report presented to NASA OART in January of this year, the calcium excretion levels evidenced by the three U.S. orbital manned spaceflights were significantly elevated to arouse the interests of United Aircraft's bioscience group into an active pursuit of the reasons for this phenomenon. It has been proposed that mineral dynamics, along with mathematical and physical models of biological systems and sensory deprivation, be continued in subsequent phases of the cyborg program. Gonna pause there. There you go. So they're talking about what's causing this depletion of calcium. And, you know, in, in these manned space flights, what's the reasoning behind it? And, and you know, if you learn to read the code... Uh, you'll know this is one of the things, the areas that they're targeting. They want to know how do we control these calcium channels in these beings because this could be a potential game changer. <coughs> okay, part A. It says here, hold on. Oh, okay, let's continue on right here. Uh, number seven, future directions of the cyborg concept. And it skips around a little bit here, folks, because this is the, the, the big summary paper. But they've done follow-ups on this that are very difficult. Uh, in fact, I haven't been able to get a hold of some of the follow-up documents and stuff on this. I suspect some of them may be classified. I do not know. But uh, I'm sure they must have followed up on this cyborg report, uh, as they're discussing here. Number seven, future directions of the cyborg concept. A, introduction. The NASW 512 contract is a biological design study of man, particularly in alien or extraterrestrial environments. It concerns itself with the system's requirements for the optimum life support, man monitoring control, and spacecraft configuration design which will ensure his safe and continued contribution to extraterrestrial and space explorations. By thorough study of man's systems and subsystems when subjected to the simulated and actual conditions of extraterrestrial environments, we will be able to make significant progress toward the better understanding of man as a space voyager. In long-term space flights, the Physiologic well-being of the pilot is of primary concern to the earthbound medical monitors. While on such flights, the pilot astronaut must be protected not only from all the known hazards of the space environment, but must, in addition, receive protection from those that are suspected to be of a debilitating nature. By the same token, the conquest of space by man must not be delayed by hyperprotective measures adopted through an overcautious approach to the unknown, which require elaborate and unnecessarily redundant system designs. Only by a complete understanding of man's psychophysiological reactions to these hazards can we be permitted to let such flights take place and be in a position to predict with any degree of reliability the probable success of a given flight. As this report indicates, only selected areas merit 
detailed experimental efforts in the Phase II portion of the Cyborg program. These are mathematical models, biocybernetics, sensory deprivation, and mineral dynamics. Going to pause there, folks, before we get to the next part here. So you see how they're studying how to control human organ systems and, and you know, human body systems and the human nervous system. Uh, that's basically what's going on here. So they're, they're talking about psychophysiologic responses. Okay. So once again, this, this whole thing buys into the whole uh, hyper-materialist view of things. And uh, not only that, it also is extremely heavily weighted towards the cybernetics approach to things. They want to learn how to control the systems. In order to control the systems, they need to understand a basic overview of how the whole system works as a unit. And then in so doing, they could create a cybernetic feedback loop within that system in order to take control of it. Uh, this is a, a, a very uh, basic principle called a causal circuit. Okay, uh, All this is based upon um, the, the work of Walter Cannon and his view of biological homeostasis. So when, when you go back and you look at some of these homeostasis studies and understand that the body is a homeostatic system, also the mind is a homeostatic system in many regards, that being the case, it operates through feedback loops, through these cybernetic feedback loops. And uh, if you could access that loop at any point, you could take control of the whole loop and therefore control all the action of the system. And this works across the board for any system, not just a biological system or like uh, human beings or computers or anything like that. Any system at all. Economic systems, anything. Any type of system. It's, it's a, a concept called a causal circuit. You introduce something new into a portion of this system and it creates uh, this effect through a feedback loop. So you could loop back and, you know, retrieve information on, on the backside of that and then use that information to keep forward feeding the information through or, or new information through. And thus you could take control of a system in that means. And that's exactly what cybernetics is about. So when we're talking about things like biocybernetics, which is the next section here, section B, biocybernetics, uh, it's talking about, uh, you know, trying to figure out the ways to introduce this causal circuit uh, into a person to, you know, effectuate control, pretty much. Um, <clears throat> but let's read on here. Section B, biocybernetics. The ability to determine the performance of several aspects of the human organism while it is subjected to the stresses of spaceflight without risking an astronaut's life can be accomplished with a large measure of success by terrestrial simulation. Careful analysis of many aspects of human functions has shown that in many cases even the seemingly most complex systems can be reduced to mathematical relationships. By computer simulation and mathematical models of these systems, we can develop an actual physical dynamic analog of the system under consideration. By subjecting these analogs to the environmental stresses of spaceflight in terrestrial simulation laboratories, we may be better able to gather a thorough understanding of the system dynamics involved and generate the design requirements for this aspect of manned spaceflight. And I'm going to pause right there, folks. You see, this is why they use computer simulations for everything. And the computers they have now are way far more advanced than what they had in 1963. Uh, to analyze this type of data. Uh, 
So they use this artificial intelligence and these computer systems, these simulation models, uh, to create the model under the conditions and the parameters that they want. And uh, whether you think uh, the way they describe space to us or not is real or fictitious, uh, they could put these parameters into a computer to try to devise what's the best way to proceed here if such and such is the case with this or you know whatever actual data that they do have on space or if that's truly the intention here or whatever the true intention is they could program those parameters into one of these models and see what kind of reactions they could get and how they could control the system and in what way uh, to, to get the result that they're looking for so that's why they use these computer models and the artificial intelligence and everything this way and uh, they've kind of entrained the artificial intelligence to reflect what it is exactly they're looking for so that they could have uh, this this total control and uh, in so doing they're trying to achieve parity between human intelligence and artificial intelligence uh, and they're going to do so in the, the way where they bring human intelligence down to the artificial intelligence level not the other way around like people think uh, the transhumanists, they push the notion of man merging with machine and becoming more intelligent, okay? That's not exactly the case, okay? They cannot create a machine that duplicates human cognition. They've never been successful in doing so. They could create computers that could calculate things really fast, sure, uh, but that is not the same as the human brain. Human cognition and consciousness operates on a much greater level than any machine that they've ever built. So their solution to this problem is to pare down human intelligence to be fit with the artificial intelligence. And that's that's one of the ways that they've gone with this whole cyborg uh, notion here. But let's continue on. Phase one of the cyborg study has been concerned with the basic problem of conceptualizing and divining specific system components of man and the functioning of these components in an extraterrestrial environment. As part of Cyborg, considerable effort has been devoted to the synthesis of a nonlinear mathematical model of the human cardiovascular system designed to reproduce the salient features of its functioning under several environmental conditions and, possibly, under certain types of psychological inputs. In the continuation of the cyborg concept in Phase 2, efforts will continue to be devoted to the development and exploration of a cardiovascular system model and will be extended to other human systems and subsystems. It is recognized that the experimental verification of this analytic model in all detail cannot be undertaken without access to a gravitation-free environment. It is possible, however, to perform significant experimental work in animals which have been subjected to surgery in which their carotid sinuses and other baroceptors have been denervated. These animals can be thus regarded as pseudo-weightless from the cardiovascular viewpoint and hence can be used in studies designed to evaluate the responses of the cardiovascular system to certain standard inputs such as would be encountered in rapid re-entry from a deep space mission and i'm going to pause right there folks let's back it up a couple sentences there shall we see it says Phase 2 efforts will continue to be devoted to the development and exploration of a cardiovascular system model and will be extended to other human systems and subsystems. Well, they're talking about the human nervous system, folks. The, the brain. All of that. 
the, that's exactly what they want to gain, you know, gain the most control over is, is the human mind. And in so doing, if you could garner control of the brain and the nervous system, well, you could control the whole body, can't you? And that's, that's what it's all about. Um, but anyway, they're talking about uh, weightlessness and weightless environments. And once again, they're holding up uh, this narrative of space and that kind of thing. But uh, let's continue on with the reading here. <clears throat> Since one ultimate objective of this program is the design of sensing and processing systems, it must be emphasized that ultimately some aspects of this work must be performed under actual operational conditions in man. It is not possible or desirable at this time, however, to do more than point out the necessity for this ultimate test. Additional understanding of human cardiovascular dynamics can be expected to improve the precision with which we can specify more nearly optimum sensor processing systems. For example, blood flow or vascular current is an important but difficult to measure physiologic parameter. It is conceivable, as shown by F. Cope, that blood flow can be determined indirectly from data on blood pressure and blood vessel compliance. Relationships such as the one indicated above have been investigated as part of Phase 1 and should certainly be further studied in this proposed program. The availability of molecular integrated circuit techniques makes it entirely conceivable that once a set of rational requirements has been generated, small sensor processor units can be designed which will handle the data in a manner which will permit the display of more meaningful cardiovascular variables. Even in those cases where it is not feasible or desirable to incorporate the data processing elements in the sensor packages themselves, the processing methods can still be incorporated in suitable computing devices for remote handling and display <coughs> cell phones. <coughs> After this objective is accomplished, studies will be undertaken to explore the utility of preparing analog packages of the human vascular system. Such packages, once developed, would prove useful in both terrestrial experimentation and in the preliminary exploration of the extraterrestrial environment. And I'm going to pause right there, folks. Okay, they're, they're outlining all the ideas here, uh, why they think it's important to study these systems. And it is important to study the human biological systems uh, to some degree or another. But they're talking about using ubiquitous sensors uh, to gather data points on this and be able to control the data flow and understand the cause and effect relationship of the data. So that being the case, they're speaking primarily about the cardiovascular system here. But this is just one system of many that they intend to do this with. And I'm talking at this point here in 1963. Uh, these studies on all the systems have since been done, I'm sure. But anyway, let's continue on here because we're going to get to the good stuff here very soon. <coughs> Part C. Sensory deprivation. This area has been included in the cyborg study because many reported effects of sensory deprivation constitute a serious modification of normal functioning, and there are grounds for supposing that the space capsule constitutes a restricted environment which provides significantly less sensory stimulation 
than that to which humans are usually accustomed, a major contingency which must be guarded against on any extended space mission is the induction of hypodynamic conditions as a result of a failure of any component. For example, loss of power could result in the cutting of communications with Earth Station. In order to maximize the probability of survival, it is essential that design requirements be specified and devices be incorporated which will maintain the sensory environment at a high dynamic level. The major purpose of the proposed study is the identification and evaluation of the means by which man can be prepared to cope successfully with the many psychological stresses which may affect him during long-term space missions. And I'm going to pause right there, folks. Um, who likes to look at computer monitors all day? And uh, who, who is fascinated with uh, computer devices and electronic devices? Who could sit and spend hours in a very small space uh, and just, you know, be content to use an electronic device or, or stare at an electronic device all day? Well, I would say society at large today, uh, but I would say specifically people on the autism spectrum. This is a known commodity. And uh, I believe, I, I can't really give any direct evidence of this, but things that we're looking at in this paper kind of uh, give some kind of a clue to such that uh, this has been purposely engineered in our society. Uh, so, you know, that being the case, uh, we could continue reading here, and I'll point out some other interesting facts here. Uh, that this this brings out. So, where did we leave off? The need for this work arises because man is basically a biological organism designed to operate within the parameters defined by the Earth environment. Despite a remarkable degree of over-design, there are many areas in which man's capabilities fall short of requirements posed by such missions. And I'm going to pause right there, folks. You see, uh, it says... Despite a remarkable degree of overdesign, see it's saying man is uh, overly suited for this task. See, he he doesn't he's not content to sit in a confined little space uh, to do something like this. So we need to engineer that out of him. Okay, uh, and it says here, um, man is basically a biological organism designed to operate within the parameters defined by the Earth environment. So. Here's the thing. They want to re-engineer the parameters that he's designed to work in. Okay, uh, So not necessarily the Earth environment. And what do we see going on all around us? Well, it's, it's the pull away from nature to the unnatural, uh, the artificial. See, uh, the computer screen, the, uh, the virtual world. You understand? You see what's going on here? Anyway, let's, let's get back to the reading. On the basis of the present analysis, time-structuring events such as programs of moving displays, sound, and recorded material of interest to the crew seems to merit investigation. Going to pause right there, folks. What was I just talking about? Uh, who likes to stare at computer monitors all day? Who can watch the, the same types of entertainment over and over again all day long? Uh, well... You know, the public at large now, nowadays, we've kind of been conditioned that way. Uh, we're very content to just, you know, look at our cell phone all day or a computer screen, anything like that. But specifically, uh, people on the autism spectrum have this uh, kind of affinity to these technologies, especially a touch screen 
or you know these these computer monitors this kind of thing uh, so was this something that arose naturally or was this something that was designed into uh, our environment or were we are we being adapted for such things yeah I think there's a, a lot of uh, circumstantial evidence to s support that theory uh, but anyway let's let's continue on with the reading uh, okay other activities such as problem-solving requirements and sequential tests may be promising the design requirements of such devices should receive the highest priority by presenting to the pilot changing patterns of sensory inputs, we may be able to control his possible lapse into a state of sensory deprivation and prevent its attendant incapacitating effects from ever occurring. In addition, it is felt essential that sorry, in addition, it is felt essential that means be formulated which will have the capacity to monitor the status of the central nervous system. Such a device would be able to determine the level of central nervous system reactivity to a marginal signal input and determine whether quite unconsciously the pilot is gradually losing control of his conscious mental processes. And I'm going to pause right there, folks. That sentence is very disturbing. See, they, they want a device that could monitor your central nervous system in real time and tell them. What it is you're thinking and if you're about to lose consciousness or or conscious mental processes see and uh, make no no mistake about it uh, many of these technologies have already been developed and are being used today let's move on to the next section here and we'll see where it starts to get a little more interesting won't we section d mineral dynamics on each of the three united states manned orbital flights collected in and post-flight urine specimens showed significantly elevated levels of excreted calcium. This is a phenomenon which has been frequently observed in the past in cases of hospital patients subjected to extended periods of immobilization in sensory deprivation studies, certain stress situations, and in simulated weightlessness experiments involving water immersion. It remains to be determined, however, whether this increase reflects potentially serious drainage of calcium from the skeletal system. In order to monitor and appraise the significance of alterations in calcium output, it is, a necess it is necessary that a detection system be devised which will permit the tracing of the mineral through the several metabolic compartments. It can be unequivocally stated that no method is known today for determining calcium movement other than those methods involving some type of tracer. It is to be emphasized that passive neutron activation methods are capable only of static estimates of calcium. The elucidation of the dynamics of the mineral requires the use of distinguishable but chemically identical atomic species. Therefore, a suitable system for the detection of calcium dynamics must involve, number one, the use of a tracer, number two, a suitable sensor, and number three, the application of correct data processing techniques to the information collected. In the course of this proposed program, we shall continue the investigation of calcium dynamics in man and animals from the viewpoint of the changes which occur as a result of immobilization and or psychological stress. 
and establish the requirements for a detection system to determine and display changes and predict trends in the pilot's calcium dynamics. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Psychological stress, immobilization. They're tracing calcium. Well, this would be calcium in the nervous system, wouldn't it? Disruptions in calcium neuronal channels cause many symptoms of autism. Is this being engineered on purpose? That's my question. Um, and, and this is something that I, I actually pointed out in my book, The Autism Epidemic, Transhumanism's Dirty Little Secret. Uh, this is what I suspect has been going on. Can I prove this outright? No, I cannot. But uh, I have my suspicions that there are certain environmental factors that are causing these disruptions in, in neuronal calcium channels within people and are contributing to the autism epidemic. And uh, when you could trace stuff back to programs like this, the cyborg program, it all ties together with transhumanism, all of it. Uh, it, it all does, and there's, there's all kinds of different social engineering tells and stuff that go along with it as well. But uh, for today, we're just going to focus on this paper, so let's get back to the reading. The cyborg program is expected to be a long-range program of study and experimental efforts. The experimental phases are intended to develop both mathematical and physical dynamic models of important human systems. These will include the cardiovascular endocrine, gastrointestinal, cutaneous, and pulmonary systems. The physical models will be varied by actual laboratory experiments, and relating mathematical formulae will be developed to describe interaction of the systems. These models will be simulated in the UAC computer facility and dynamically tested, ultimately in space environmental extremes. Firm design requirements will be established for an optimized physiologic monitoring system as well as for the design requirements for a life support environmental control system. Such systems will be integrated to provide a total man-machine complex with man in the control loop as the forcing function. Going to pause there. Control loop, cybernetics, feedback loop, man-machine complex. You hear that? Uh, space capsule design requirements will be delineated as well as a result of sensory deprivation experiments and man augmentation mechanism design constraints. Man augmentation mechanism design constraints. These design requirement groups will be developed in such a way that a relatively simple modification scheme will allow the requirements to change and update the state of the art as time progresses. This will, prevent the sorry, this will prevent the necessity of having to fund an entirely new program every few years to redevelop design requirements as the changing state of the art makes existing requirement groups obsolete, or obsolescent, rather. Um, and then it has a little diagram here that has, uh, it's like a Venn-type diagram. It has cyborg in the middle, and it says life systems models, biocybernetics, Hypometabolism, hypothermia, artificial systems, environmental simulation, drugs, adaptation, nutrition, mineral metabolism, sensory deprivation. And then let's continue on. Out of the cyborg program, we will be able to understand considerably more about man, his systems, and his subsystems. Methods for augmenting and extending his limitations, which will be compatible with the state of the art and the app 
applicability of man in a space mission will be derived from cyborg in an effort to obtain the maximum integration of man into a man-machine complex. Gonna pause there, folks. Transhumanism. It's talking about transhumanism, folks. That's what it's all about. That's the bottom line. Uh, augmenting and extending his limitations, making him compatible with the state of the arts. Uh, <laughs> it's crazy. Maximum integration of man into a man-machine complex. Uh, yeah, man, this is what it's all about. Cyborgs, transhumanism, that's what they're talking about. They think that uh, this is probably the more of the goal than the actual space flight itself. Uh, changing man into the next step in human evolution. Uh, and in my view, I think that's what this quote-unquote space program is more about than anything else, is the rise of transhumanism. All the studies and stuff that they've done, all the sciences they've developed, uh, that's that's what it's about. They've, they've you know, figured out ways to uh, manipulate um, not only man's belief systems, but also uh, man's behaviors and, uh, you know, man's outlook and worldview. They, they've really done a fine job engineering many of these aspects into man. And uh, they have not been forthright uh, with what information they have about what we would call space. Uh, in fact, you know, I, I think it's been, you know, pretty well demonstrated that they lie to us on the regular about it, about what's out there, what's up there, what it really consists of. And uh, we have no actual uh, presence aside from, you know, uh, what they claim is out there. We, we have no way to know outside of these select few space programs or whatever uh, what's actually out there and, you know, where there is. Uh, so... Yeah, you know, it, it's hard to tell. What what has all the all this money that NASA has spent, and that the military industrial complex has spent allegedly on these space programs? What do we have to show for it? And I mean, I know there's some technologies that allegedly have come from you know the, these space exploration sciences and all of this stuff that they claim, like you know, this stuff is derived from that. But uh, what do we have as far as space flight technologies? Well, it's still the same old rockets and stuff, isn't it? Uh, nothing has really advanced. It hasn't. I mean, they still can't. They claim they cannot duplicate the Saturn V rocket anymore. They just don't have uh, the capacity to do it. They don't know how. Uh, but yet, you know, this this is the advance, the most state of the art. Uh, you know, from back in the 1960s, it hasn't changed, and they've thrown how much money at it? What's the real program going on, folks? I would say it's studying. Uh, you know, the how how does man work? How can we garner better control of man? Uh, let's throw money in these cybernetic studies, these systems control studies. That's what I think is more about. I think that's the real secret behind the secret space program. Uh, but anyway, let's finish up with the reading here and call it a night. Back to the reading. Hopefully, we will evolve a model of the central nervous system during this period. This is an ambitious task, but must be earnestly assaulted if such a worthy undertaking is ever to be completed. And I'm going to pause right there, folks. 
That's not me talking. I'm reading directly from their words. I'm going to read that again. Let that sink in, okay? A couple key points, key words here, okay? Hopefully, we will evolve a model of the central nervous system during this period. This is an ambitious task, but must be earnestly assaulted if such a worthy undertaking is ever to be completed. Do you hear the intention in that, folks? Evolve. Assault. Central nervous system. I'm telling you, there's there's got to be something to this. Um, you know, it, you don't use words like assault in something like this and when you're talking about uh maybe studying something per se uh that that word was very carefully selected make no doubt about it any type of a white paper like this or, or anything like this uh the words are chosen very carefully uh they chose the word evolve uh you know evolve a model of the central nervous system during this time and i i would um, you know, place the educated guess that that's exactly what they've worked on doing. And that's probably more what your quote-unquote secret space program is all about. That space between your ears, folks. That's what they're talking about, and that's what they're trying to get a hold of. And that's the whole secret behind the secret space program. Let's finish up this last paragraph here, and we'll call it a night. A significant number of experiments will be performed on animals and man throughout this program to verify modeling concepts which have evolved from the cyborg theory. In this way, cyborg will accomplish its mission by providing a better understanding of the biological design of man and relating the impact of this understanding to compatible hardware systems. And that's the end of this short paper that we looked at tonight, folks. Um, there you go. Transhumanism, baby. That's what it's all about. That's what they're looking for. Uh, I would argue that I think they've succeeded in engineering some of these, uh, um, different, uh, desired traits into humankind. And I would suggest that, uh, a lot of this has been done, um, under the auspices of this secret space program and various ideas like that. And I think uh, it does cross over into the realms of uh, things like the autism epidemic and uh, the, the plethora of uh, different central nervous system problems people have now and neurological disorders and psychological disorders. I think this has played a heavy hand in that. I, I think it's a study program. I think they've introduced things into the atmosphere and are collecting the data and are trying to engineer us towards this next step in human evolution, uh, which they view as being their the birthright uh, of these elite benefactors and stuff that, that push these things, okay? They, they believe this is the next step, the next phase in human evolution, and they talk about it as such, and this would be transhumanism. And uh, they've been slowly, over time, engineering us towards this, uh, towards what they would call singularity, um, and that would be the transhuman singularity where man and machine uh, become pretty much essentially merged together. And many would argue that we're already a cyborg, that we use uh, different extensions of ourselves, like our, our digital personalities and stuff, uh, through social media and uh, through our cell phones. Uh, the only thing that's really holding that back is the interface speed. 
Uh, whereas right now we use, you know, the keyboard to input things or speech to speak into things. Whereas uh, the ultimate goal for these people is to have it directly hooked to your brain so that you could transmit and receive data at the speed of thought. And then will we be a true cyborg? And that's kind of the plan, folks. Uh, they're trying to engineer us into this new transhuman uh, type of a being. Uh, a being fit for space or space exploration or the next level. See, uh, the only space that they're trying to evolve you for is the space between your ears, folks. They're, they're trying to engineer your brain, your mind. They're engineering your mind uh, to accept this false paradigm that they're presenting. And not only to accept it, but uh, to embrace it and welcome it as if it's the next step in man's evolution, as if this is going to be a good thing, this falling away from nature, uh, which I would argue is probably not the best choice uh, for mankind as a whole to take because nature always self-corrects. And uh, when we're going against the grain of nature, uh, we're going to feel the ramifications. And uh, this, this whole thing, it, it's all the same. But, you know, that, that's the bottom line. This is all about transhumanism. Even the space program stuff, all the NASA nonsense that's out there, it's all to promote transhumanism, and that's what's really going on uh, in the world today. Uh, so, you know, you start to see, oh, they're, you know, SpaceX is sending up another rocket. Well, what's that rocket doing? Well, it's, it's putting little SpaceX links, Space Link satellites, whatever they're called, up there uh, to give Internet access to the world. Well, why, why is that? Why, why would they want to do that? Well, they want everything interconnected, okay, on this artificial intelligence control grid. That's what it's about, folks. It has nothing to do with exploring space or what they want you to believe space is or going to other planets, other worlds. Um, that's not what it's about, okay? It's about controlling your mind. It's about gathering access to your innermost thoughts, your innermost mind, and gaining control of that and that's what the whole space program's about uh, top to bottom and there's many things that go with it uh, with the entertainment and everything too uh, this has all been engineered very carefully and meticulously uh, through the course of time through over the the long haul uh, they've they've manipulated your thoughts as to what space is and what it should be and what it looks like and what it what they want you to believe that's there but they've never really been forthright with us about what's up there or if they've even ever gotten beyond uh, low Earth orbit, if that's, you know, even possible. So that's that's the thing. I mean, we, we, we have to take their word for it because there's only a select few conduits that have ever explored out there in space, allegedly, or, or been up there. So that being the case, we could not really be sure at this point and just have to kind of take their word for it. But when you see documents and stuff like this that talks about engineering mankind into something else uh, that's more suited for this alleged space, uh, you have to start wondering what's really going on. And, uh, you know, connecting the dots isn't always easy, but uh, sometimes you, you come across something that really um, opens a door for you. And, and this is one of those documents that really opens a door and puts a connection there and connects some dots that were kind of missing before, at least for me. So that's where I'm coming from with that. But uh, anyway, folks, 
It's been uh, good having you here. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Have a good night. Introducing the new home for free speech, Free World FM, the alternative to the alternative. Keep on talking in the free world. That's freeworld.fm, coming soon.